Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings, this is John Howard from Capital Weekly, and welcome to our weekly podcast and our guest today, um, Jody Remke the chair of the Fair Political Practices Commission. I didn't say political watchdog. I used the formal title. Good, Tim good. Foster, executive director of Open California. Hi, John. So, Jody, thank you very much thank you. for showing up. Um, obviously, we are one day out, less than 24 hours out from Election Day. Uh, do you have any thoughts about what you do? You track the money, track the campaigns, you enforce the Political Reform Act. Correct. So as we go into this crazy election season, or as we finish this crazy election season, what do you have any thoughts about that, what you're doing, yes, and how's it we're, going? Yes, we're busy. That, that's my <laughs> thought. We're very busy. Um, our goal right now is to try to get as much compliance as possible uh-huh. before the election, obviously, when the information matters the most to the voters. So we take a lot of pre-election activity. Um, I will start by saying that we have almost three times as many complaints filed in the last 30 days than on average. Now that's for, for, for a similar 30-day period? Or right, okay. correct. Wow. And, and that's not unusual when you think about it. It's because of what's due now, the 24-hour reports, uh-huh. the, the pre-election reports. So our goal is to look at all the candidates and committees and make sure that they are filing on time. So what we do is we reached out to all the county clerks, all the city clerks that are having an election with residents 100,000 or more, and we said, let us know who's not filing, we will reach out. We got 52 non-filers today, we got our 52nd filer compliance. So we got all people to comply before the election. Are those state offices, Assembly, Senate, are they local, city council, all of the above. supervisors? All of the above. The okay. one today that we actually had to go to court to get compliance was a Berkeley City Council race. Uh-huh. Well, now, when you go to court, that would be Alameda County Superior Court? Correct. Um, do you turn over information to a prosecutor in Alameda County? No, it's us filing the suit against the individual candidate or okay. committee, saying basically this is the law. The law requires a pre-election statement to be filed. It has not been filed. We have reached out multiple times to try uh-huh. to get compliance, and, and then we get the... Again, the goal is the statement. We want disclosure. We uh-huh. want it before the election. Do you get the sense that the non-compliance is generally willful, or is it confusion? I think it's across, there's every possible explanation. Sometimes I do think it's confusion. Sometimes people think if there isn't a certain level of activity, they're not required to file. I mean, but those are clearly the smaller local races. When you start to talk about um, a state election, you're into, you know expected to have compliance and to understand the law. Are any of the, uh, you mentioned three times as before, a similar period as before. Does this include state? Are we talking about assembly and senate and statewide? Correct. Um, if uh, you go to court, there's a obviously there's a clock that starts ticking, I guess. Is it possible to get resolution of these things before election day, or do they typically go on past well, election day? the case I was just talking about, the Berkeley uh, City Council, I would say we got compliance today because he filed today. We uh-huh. went to court, okay. he was ordered to file, he in fact did file today. Uh-huh. So we have compliance. Now that doesn't mean there's not going to be a violation um, brought against him, first of all, for an untimely filing, and second, we have to review the actual statements that were filed. Uh-huh. But again, the goal, the first step is the compliance and the filing and the disclosure. The disclosure being the key. 
So, um, like I said, we always get an uptick in complaints before an election. Uh -huh. And so our goal not only is to get to compliance, is to review complaints so that we can reject those that have no merit as quickly as possible. Because unfortunately, sometimes complaints are used as a campaign tactic by your opponent. And or to... Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, I know. Shocked. You guys both look shocked. <laughs> um, or to, again open a case and pursue investigation and try to wrap that up as quickly as possible. So despite the fact that we have three times the number of complaints we normally do, we were able in the last 30 days, we were able to close or reject 25% of those. We opened 35% as active investigations and the others are still under review and or trying to get immediate compliance. And election day really doesn't have anything to do in terms of resolving these complaints. I mean, after whether the person wins, loses, or draws, whatever. We will continue to pursue those cases and investigations that appear to have merit. Now, again, the other thing to do, like I said, our, our goal is to try to resolve as many as possible. I don't know if you had a chance to look at our um, November agenda, but we have 15 cases on the agenda that relate to this election, the November 2016 election. Again, um, is that failure to unusual? Is that or is that? I think it's I think it's higher um, than usual um, because again we've just made it such a priority right now to focus on as much pre-election activity as we can do as possible. Now, despite the fact that three times the complaints come in, we still have the same staff. What is your staff? It's 80 um, for the whole agency, but only a portion of that is for enforcement and compliance. We also have a legal division that gives out advice as we're required to do by statute. And I would just add, I always like to talk about that element because it's the flip side to everyone talking about unethical behavior and violations. The vast majority of officials, I like to argue, are trying to comply with the law. And that's why we get roughly 20,000 requests for advice a year. And again, yes. And that's at all levels, of, again, local, sure. state. And how many people on the staff that handle those? Well, we have um, the lawyers and a technical division, so there are about 15 people responding by phone, email, and then if you want a more formal response, which provides certain immunity, you get a written letter. I did a count just on my own a couple days ago. How much money came in on the ballot props? The spending, and I came up with $461 million. Yeah, I heard 480 most recently, okay. but it's about right because sometimes you get some double counting because money's being moved. Right, right, right. Um, it's pretty In fact, shocking. that in itself was kind of amazing. But yeah. uh, is that seems like an exponential increase, at least an increase over previous years and previous ballot proposition campaigns, it seems to me, from my end. Although I know we've had campaigns. I think it's had we're right about at the record. I think the record I heard was. 470. So whether you're at a 460 or 480 number, we're close to the record. So we're about up there. Yeah. Um, does, but my, my, my question, I guess, was does the level, does this much dough affect how many, uh, the, the level of ethics violations? Does it have any, I mean, you're talking about this, these amounts of money. I mean, they're just enormous. But let, when we talk um, about that amount of money, let, let's pause and talk about how many players we're talking about, because I think that's what's interesting whenever you talk about money in politics. If you look at, we also do a top 10 contributor list on our website. Hey, we do a top 100, <laughs> we and do. nobody likes ours either. So. Well, no, but we have to do a top 10. It's, again, required by, uh, by law. 
So when you look at the top 10, what you see is about 380 million shown, just by looking at the top 10 contributors. Oh, wow. So that's about 80% of the money. We're talking, obviously, a considerable amount of money. 80% of that coming from the top 10 contributors to the 17 ballot measures. When I did the last count I did real quickly, that's about 200 different um, individuals or committees. 200. And that's posted making, at the FPPC website? Yes, it's on our website. FPPC.ca.gov. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, one of our goals is to try to get that information out. We all, that's what everyone's trying to do, right? How do we push out user-friendly information when we're talking about $480 million being provided to 17 issues? Well, I like the quick totals. I mean, you know, so the top, the, uh, the top donors, great. The top spenders, great. Right. What's the top lobbying? I think we've done you've done this before, but in lobbying expenditure, who are the top fifty firms in the IEs? What are the top fifty right, IEs? That way, I don't have to look at it. Right. You guys can do. It. I, I think the top lobbying again. When we're talking about the amount of money in politics today, politics today, everybody likes to talk about independent expenditures. <laughs> granted, a significant increase um, with contribution limits. I get that contributions in general. We're not but, into nuance. But, <laughs> but the piece we're forgetting is the lobbying, special interest spent on lobbying. And that still is a vast majority of the pie when you're looking at all the money in politics. So I do think it's important to start looking at what that money is and how it's being spent. And that's what the FPPC, we've done this past year, year and a half, we've been focusing on lobbying regulations and trying to get that information out, again, in a more user-friendly format. Who's spending it and what are they spending it on? You know, you may know this off the top of your head. What what is an average year? What is the expenditure in an average year by the lobbying Well, I can just talk about the top 10. <laughs> Again, our top 10, because that's who I've done a lot of um, research on over the last year because of our regulation we passed, which is on the other payments to influence aspect. Do you guys remember this at all? Yeah. So lobbyist employers, special interest groups, have to file how much money they're spending to hire lobbyists, to hire lobbying firms. And if it doesn't fall into those categories, they call it other payments to influence. When you look at these reports over the past 15 years, you see that the number spent in other payments, without disclosure as who they're paying, what they're spending it on, has grown to about 68% of the amount they're spending. So our regulation... From, it's grown from what it used to be? I think that number was in the 40s and 2000. I think I did 2000 to 2014. You can look at our memo on the regulation. But it, it, it's grown, and I'm looking at the top percent. Yeah. Um, and that was, if you look at the top 10 um, lobbyist employers, that's $35 million a year. Wow. So we're talking, and that's just 10. So we're talking about a lot of money. So our regulation said, okay, you've got to break down this 67% of unknown expenditures. Who are you paying? What's their primary purpose of the payment? Part of this is to get at what everyone refers to as the grassroots lobbying, the ad campaigns, the going out, reaching out to the public get them to influence the does this, um, uh, does this relate to when the lobbyists file, they have to list the bills? One of the forms I know has the bills, AB 12, AB 36. The lobbyist know, employer, again, the special interest that's hiring lobbyists and lobbying firms, they list what they hired them for. Uh -huh. Again, an issue we really need to address because right now it looks like a barcode of just that was 30 people. There's this forest of tiny eight-point yeah. tie, even on, and you can 
boost it up to 250% on the screen, but it's really difficult. There are hundreds of bills out there. So if you guys can fix that, it's... Well, we're trying I'll, to I'll fix it, and I will say it's the same answer to a lot of this. Again, we know just an enormous amount of money is in politics, but we got to figure out where it's going, who's spending it, and on what. And all of that goes back to our statewide um, database, Cal Access. And I'm really, you know, pleased to hear that the Secretary of State is focusing on that. We need a new system that will show you that kind of lobbying connection between the money and the bill. It will show you much easier the top 10 contributors to each candidate, to each ballot measure. We can do that. We just need a new database. Do you, have you had any indication? 2012, I think it was, there was an indication about outside money. It's sort of out there and it kind of percolated, and it was kind of coming up, and it didn't really get defined until after Election Day, money that had come in. It was at Arizona. I think it was $15 million and some change. It came in, come yeah. out, came back in. Are you seeing anything like that this time from the nonprofits getting involved? Well, following that case, there was legislation to basically stop what people call dark money, that money funneled through multiple organizations. Yeah, okay. Because now in California, we have some of the strongest laws in the country, and we are routinely pointed out as the toughest laws on this issue. Because now in California, if you give... $50,000, regardless of what kind of organization you are, a 501c4, whatever you are, you have to disclose your donors. There is no more of this protection for non-disclosure. You have to disclose your donors at $1,000 each. And those are the kind of donors we're looking for. We're not looking at the $100 donation like we normally do when we're talking this big amount of money. So we have really strong laws on that. Again, we passed a regulation this past year to kind of double down on that. If I'm an organization, I disclose my donors and I see that's just another generic committee or organization, they also now have to disclose their donors. So, and again, you'll see that if you look at our top ten on, on the ballot measures, for example, there, there's a generic name committee as one of the top contributors. They have to show their next two contributors. Do you know if they have to show um, on the spending side? It, campaigns have to show sub-vendors? I know they, they show the vendors, but there was an issue. Some vendors, yes. The sub-vendors have yes. to be shown, so you can trace it all the way down. Yeah, it's a little bit harder when you start getting into that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. It is for the reporters, too. Are you getting interest from other states asking about how this works, and you're saying that we're ahead of the game on this? Definitely, definitely. You'll see on the national level, whether it's from the Brennan um, Center for Justice, talk about California and the success we've had and kind of looking to it as a model for other states. Kind of the pushback you get is, oh, you can't require this, they shouldn't have to disclose it. Well, we've required it, they've disclosed it, and it's working. That's a train passing by out there, and we have somebody on horseback, a police officer on horseback. So this is true ambiance of the Ambrosia Cafe, which, by the way, we want to make sort of our new home for doing these, like... The Algonquin Round Table at 21, it's not quite that big. <laughs> <laughs> what, what could go wrong? Well, it's oh, it is Sacramento, John. It so is Sacramento, know. okay. Um, the uh, Fair Political Practices Commission enforces the Political Reform Act, and it's your, you guys enforce the requirement that people disclose in the first place, but it's on the Secretary of State's website. Correct. Uh, is there any? Has there ever been any discussion about, can we go straight to the horse's mouth and get it off? Your website, is there any reason we need to go over there, or is this a turf fight I shouldn't get into? Or? 
I know it has been discussed. I'm not sure it's really the issue anymore, especially when you're talking about a, a database, an electronic database with electronic filers. I'm not sure it matters whether it's filed over there or filed with us. Again, we just need access. We have access. We work with the Secretary of State's office to get all the information we need. At this point in time, I think the time it would take to figure out if there is a turf war, if there is a yeah. battle, and pull it over to us, it's time wasted from getting a new system up and running, which is what okay. we need, most importantly. Uh, I guess one last question I wanted to ask you about the transparency, uh, the need for more transparency, or what's your sense of transparency right now? Um, I, I don't want you to take position on any ballot measures, like the one that deals with transparency, but I mean, just from your end as an enforcement person. Uh, are you getting what you need, or are there some loopholes you think need to be fixed? Again, I would say, and I, I, mean, I would really stress that California does have some of the toughest laws in the country. We require disclosure of almost every dollar um, to every committee. Yeah. So the disclosure is there, but again, it's buried in a lot of paperwork and uh -huh. a complicated um, database that's not working to the extent it should be working. So what we need to do is, is to that database so that we can pull out the information and push it out to the public in a really user-friendly format. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Jody Remke. Thank, thank you. you very much thank for being you. here. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks. Putting up with all the bells and the yeah, when the bell worries. tolls. I didn't get when the bell tolls for thee on the, on the <laughs> thing again. I should have gotten that. Ooh, you, it's you on there now. Something to say. <laughs> the Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.